Okay. So our agenda for today is to try and um, under try and present Rabbi Lamb to ourselves in the most convincing form we can, and then sit back and say, okay, how do we relate to that? Um, if we have time, discuss the Rabbi Bleich's critique of it, um, which you can decide or not to be influenced by the context in which that critique is found. <laughs> and that's a challenge generally about, um, it's off, do you, do you have, do you have a, nobody has an ideology of interpretation or almost nobody, I shouldn't write, an ideology of interpretation that consistently yields the results that they want, unless their ideology is the result, whatever results I want are legitimate. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to, you have to choose and you can choose, you know, unconsciously, which often means that you, choose the ideology that leads to more of the results you want now mm -hmm. um, or you choose the ideology you find convincing and then you probably end up having to adjust it in certain cases or make exceptions to it because it yields results you really can't deal with or you can live with the results right you can right, you can say that this you know, this is an ideology you can say uh, in different ways you can say well you know I, I have a i have an epistemological conflict because when i think morally anthropological whatever it is i think this is the result but when i think exegetically this is the result and so i live with that conflict and i resolve it halakhically whichever way i do um or you can say like you know, this is a legal process this is a moral process my goal is to have the legal and moral process coincide when they don't i do x or i do y um, right then we can have arcade interpretation fights um <laughs> and it's uh, right, just like that um but i think it's, i think one should be one should be, you know, at least try to be conscious to the extent that, you know, that um, only in an examined hermeneutic is worth having or something like that. Um, I'm sure Socrates would say something like that, an examined hermeneutic is not worth, it's not worth having or something. Um, the, um, right, so you can decide, you know, to what extent we tried to show you that, that uh, substance of due process flipped ideologies, uh, because at one point it was, it was an ideology that uh, you know, sub substance due process is what supported the, the Dred Scott decision. Substance due process is what uh, supported the, the 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 rulings that shut that struck down the New Deal, and then all of a sudden, substance due process became the way, right, became the way to import certain kinds of, of liberal ideas. And so, uh, if you have a historical perspective, as often the case, you become less attached to the at least you become aware that there is no necessary connection between the mode of interpretation and the results. Mm -hmm. uh, at least in the ideological and other ideological kinds of results. So you should think about that. Um, and then you know, each, each side, the, um, the looser sides always have their examples to point to of cases where the law became too out of touch with reality. And so obviously you need to be looser and the stricter, uh, the stricter, the stricter um, and, you know, textual interpretationalists will always have examples where it seems at some point it becomes clear, wow, that was just the judge making stuff up <laughs> uh, and claiming and claim, and claim me. And with, with it. So yeah, I think that that's, I don't think there's a way of escaping that. I think one should be aware of it and it's good to, you know, and there's always, you know, there's always a, uh, a risk in, um, in giving specific examples of the critique as opposed to an abstraction because you might always react to one or the other as you and decide how you think about the ideology based on the example. Uh, Gershon was um, quoting to me a lawyer, a constitutional lawyer at Harvard, whose name I am now forgetting, uh, who's a Catholic, who explicitly argues 
that Catholics need to abandon the notion that there should be a constitutional, uh, that there should be a theory of constitutional interpretation because the constitution is not sacred, whereas Catholicism is. Mm -hmm. And so that the, the, prop, the proper mode of Catholic hermeneutic is to interpret the constitution in a way which, which best leads to the kingdom, of, uh, the, the kingdom of God on earth. And so whatever it is that leads to results that are more compatible with God. Uh, now, you understand that if you make it too obvious that you're interpreting, you know, if you just interpret the Constitution as a Christian document, so then it won't work because the whole system will break down. You want to preserve the system. But whenever the system gives you discretion, your hermeneutic should be to interpret it in the way which most accords with Catholic ideals and the gradual triumph of a, uh, of a Christian, of a Christian uh, government. There's not a lot of people do that anyway. They just aren't explicit about it. Well, that's a question, right? So if you're really cynical, right? If you're really, right? If you're really cynical, then you celebrate him for his uh, for his honesty. Uh, I find it a little flippy. That, you know, he actually actually said, "I I tried hard to deny that he actually said it, but it's getting hard, harder, harder." Uh, I think uh, reading him, that's pretty much what he says. <laughs> pretty much what he says. It's you know, explicitly against constitutional ideology. Uh, okay. Um, and then if we have time, we will try to get to uh, Rabbi Wachowski's, um presentation of uh, what, a, what, what, a, what a progressive halakha would do. Um, one of the, I think, interesting questions about um, non-Orthodox halakha, aside from the question of what it means to have halakha that's not binding, which is their own internal conversation, mm -hmm. what it means to have halakha, this is something that um, Eugene Barwitz, Allah Shalom, that I spent many years arguing about, and uh, it was one of the great moments of, of Orthodox commitment, I think, was realizing that Barwitz, who was really smart and a really good man, just failed, I thought, uh, theologically, to construct any construct any meaningful basis for all. Uh, he was trying to, to preserve to preserve commandedness and to develop and right to make reform halakha a real thing and he had students write real papers um mm. and it was really interesting but i don't think it worked but uh what's also interesting is when we're dealing with areas where no one is going to think of halakha as socially enforceable because it deals with areas that are beyond the realm of our community. We're talking about what should we argue for in the broader community as opposed to what are we enforcing in our community, which, um, you know, places where halakha is not functioning as law in our community either. Um, and uh, where there isn't a vast body of past precedent that everyone understands points in a single direction. So the interesting question is, should, is there any necessary gap between orthodoxy and non-orthodoxy? On these issues, or are we just saying, look, we're both interpreting the same sources and trying to end up with guidance. Um, so why should we say different things? And it might, right? So like, it might very well be that that um, you can imagine, you know, um, people reaching the same result as long as they're right. And that's, I think, it's an interesting experiment as to how much how much nominational ideology influences outcomes. Um, to look at areas where. You know, where there's no reason that we should, there's, no, there's nothing about there's nothing about the notion of precedence should really prevent us from reaching different ways. We all agree that we're extrapolating from past precedent. We all agree, right? we're, not, we're not, none of us are trying to enforce things or we're trying, or we both, or yeah, more interestingly is whether the non-Orthodox community does want to enforce things. Um, so I, I in, a, in a polemical mode, I enjoy quoting the reform movement in Israel's testimony about why torture has to be absolutely usher. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're using language like that, forbidden by, <laughs> You know, because that's really wrong, right? As opposed to the other things, but you want to use the language of halakha for that. Uh, we can, you know, interesting. Um, you know, even though uh, up to that point everything was about autonomy. Um, <laughs> uh, me too. <laughs> I stopped. I stopped talking about autonomy when it comes to torture. 
because um, obviously torture, you know, infringes on the other person's autonomy in ways mm -hmm. that are unacceptable. Um, the, um, but let's say we were talking about environmentalism. As I was, I, mm -hmm. I spoke at last year's, I'm um, not speaking this year, but I spoke at last year's uh, YCT's first climate conference. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, right, does orthodoxy sound any different? You could, if you want to say, you know, well, what we're going to decide about orthodoxy is the question is, do you have to wash the pizza boxes before you put them in recycling? And there are all sorts of ways in which we can talk about this, right? You know, how much damage does it do? Um, right? Is it, you know, is it, is it fraud to put a pizza box which still has, which still has, um, you know, uh, oils on it into the recycling when they can't really recycle it, or maybe the whole thing is a fraud because nobody's actually sending recycling anywhere uh, because they can't do it properly. Right? Oh, we can you know, talk about this all, the, but you know, the, the shaila is rabbi. Do I have to wash pizza boxes? How do you wash pizza boxes? I have no idea. Um, like maybe you just wipe them off. No, it doesn't get the oil off them. It doesn't get the oil off them. The oil really soaked in. Yeah, like just rip it in half, and the bottom half you do have to throw away, but the top half you can. Okay, but there's a solution. Uh, but in some places you need to have like the you can't have a broken container recycle. Okay, you put the bottle the bottle caps in with the bottles. And you're not. All these great shilas we could ask yourself this recycling. <laughs> uh, right? Is yeah. it really Dina Melchusadina? Right? Oh, right? You, yeah. you could imagine, right? You can imagine like a whole recycling Kihilchasa, uh, right? Of orthodoxy with a list, right? That I, still, I have still gotten over the air of Tachilin Kihilchasa, which is two volumes of foods uh, with a list of whether they're kosher, whether you've used the air of Tachilin or not. The Chatkila Bidyevich Shasat Chag. Right? That's an amazing idea for a two volume book. Yeah. Um, so we can different ranges of plastics. What happens, right? If you move from a place where they recycle X to a place Y, rebound. Let me not go. Let me not go to the previous place. Well, right. <laughs> um, I think it is going to be different in um in the reform in uh, orthodox of our language from the article we saw earlier. There is no distinction between Musar and Halakha reform movement, and any right. difference that that's going to cause is going to be a difference. Like if we think it's Musar, that means Musar. We're going to give a very weak answer. If they think it's Musar, it would make difference to them at all. Uh, you know, that's that, that's your assumption. They don't necessarily agree with you. And part of it is that there's much less incentive for halacha to not be binding when there isn't any existing halacha for you to disagree with. And it's much easier to argue that halacha going forward should be binding because you, it's because right, you're not going to have any of it that you disagree with. Right? The problem really is past halacha. Right? So if you're really like a good Kantian ideologue and you think that autonomy is the primary value and you really, really mean that, so then, yes, you have a problem with halacha and with new halacha also. But if you're not really that, your problem just is that you think that the people who currently claim authority over halacha um, don't update it enough, then you can have finding halacha going forward. Um, and I have value to... like this, which is so clearly societal, it seems silly to have branching halacha going forward. To you. It's obvious that privacy is going to be different in different societies. Probably true about recycling too, but you can at least argue. That's but just a problem. Any, that it's societal is not a problem. We've built halacha for thousands of years. You know, it will just, you know, we just create like Sephardi and Ashkenazi privacy. It's fine. That's not a big deal. You can have the right. We can believe in local autonomy of the local halakhic authorities and allow them to address things in various ways. Uh, right. But the question is, right, you know, the Internet's really big shilohs, right? If I am, if I am sitting in New York and I want to wiretap somebody in the Soviet Union, is it Mutter because it's Mutter to wiretap in the Soviet Union? Or is it Mutter because I am sitting in New York? Does it depend where I listen to it? Or does it depend where the actual what, right, where the actual microphone is? Right, if, if you agree with Zirig, it obviously depends on where the code is being executed. The computer, because <laughs> <it's> executed. <laughs> Could be. Okay, right. You know, these are. 
Yeah, I guess, you know, it's it's probably an unfair bias of me, like a really cheap pedagogy tactic to get people to laugh at certain things, which then you will look at and discover that it actually exists, you know, but you already laughed at it, so you're all biased against it. Right. Um, okay, any case, yeah, but I don't think it would be hard to do it. Okay, let's go back to everybody left. So, um, yeah, right. uh, Tani, why don't you convince us that there's a right to privacy in halacha, and that it's very extensive. I think the best way I could do it is, I mean, I think Hesedri is the clearest. So the best way to do it is if you're not talking about it, convince us. Don't talk about how you're going to convince us. I'm skeptical of the enterprise in general, but I guess we can table right, that. Table that, table that. You're on the right. You're, 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 somebody's paying you a lot of money right, to, give a pre, to give a presentation about how Jewish law right, insists, on, right, insists on the importance of the right to privacy. So go. Yeah, so I think we have Hezekiah. Mm -hmm. um, we have laws of Boshet. What do we have about Hezekiah? We have laws that prevent other people from infringing on your privacy. Uh -huh. Okay, so we have laws that infringe other people from infringing on your privacy. What kind of privacy? Privacy of people seeing you. Seeing you, visual privacy. But that's that's certainly in the limited sense of the sources that we have that's what it's referring to we can then expand that uh, we, see that you're already too honest <laughs> visual penetration of your property uh we have laws that protect your privacy that's what i said that's all <laughs> uh, all privacy obviously all right with exceptions for cases where right for cases where there's no where there's no um, right where there's no reasonable expectation of privacy I think it's a stretch to argue that, though. <laughs> ah, okay. That's what we're Where Lab doesn't, though, does he? No. Let's go. Let's go look at his formulation, right? Because I think it's important, right? I think this is an important um, thing. Let's go look at how, how does Rabbi Lab formulate the way Hezekiah is used in uh, is used in privacy. Um, so we are on page uh, 289. Okay, so there are two. Uh, that, that, that such non physical invasion of privacy is prescribed is what we learned from the Mishnah. Okay, good. Great opening line. Non physical, right? There's physical and non physical invasion of privacy, and right, non physical is a category, right? That's a good, that's a good rhetorical move, uh, uh, which prohibits installing windows facing the courtyard of uh, the courtyard neighbor, right? Good, fine example because it, right, it imposes a burden already. Um, on the person without the moral question of, of it just being limited to partnerships. Wait, the question, yes, you do. Just a general, as a background question to Rabbi Lamb, is Rabbi Lamb the kind of person to read the Zohar and let it influence his thoughts without writing that you read the Zohar? Without writing that, it, that it's what? Because the Zohar is very strong on privacy. So if you're the kind of rabbi who, Rabbi Lamb is the kind of person to have secret sources that are influencing his thoughts he doesn't tell you. I want to know if, if, it's, if you think it's plausible that he read the Zohar and it's letting him drive his force towards privacy, because the Zohar very strongly claims you don't have a soul if you don't have privacy. There's lots of really important Zohar. Yeah, so Rabbi Lamb was, was uh, really an expert. He respected the Zohar. He would keep it secret. He was, <laughs> he was an expert and very influenced by Chassidut. Right. I, I, I took his course on Chassidut. So, um, it's hard to be an expert and be, you know, on a chassidut without reading the Zohar. Yeah. So right, that he read the Zohar, I'm pretty clear. Uh, there was a secret influence on his thoughts. He wasn't usually secret about those kind of influences. I don't think he liked quoting chassidic sources. Um, 
especially in favor of Saramada. Uh, right, that was one of his models of the Hasidic model. Do you think if he had, if he had influenced Ezra, he would have quoted it? I think so. I, I think my my personal experience is that, uh, as I, I said yesterday, right, you were here, that his his vision of privacy is, is um, Rambam Aristotelian, that having right that um, you know that and you know fairly physical privacy that right, he really thought eating in public was a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would I, I I would be surprised, but maybe that's my own projection, right? I would be surprised if he came to this by his over. Okay. That um, is interesting here because I think we have to keep that in mind for all the modern figures, especially the kind of figure who has secret sources. That Zohar is very strong on privacy, and it's a classical secret source. I just have the general argument. I don't mean you know, but my argument in the case of Ray is based in you know is based almost entirely on on a personal feel for the okay. For the person, not on, not on, you know, okay. to, you know, as you know, you can't argue against Straussian claims that people have secret sources. <laughs> right? They just go deeper. <laughs> well, uh, no, we could, we could find evidence. I don't think the evidence is here in this article. But okay. Could, I can't deny that you read the Zohar. If you have an article talked about the Soda law, that would be a sign that they're being influenced by Zohar, even though they're, even though okay. they're, they he doesn't, so it's probably. Okay. The question is whether this prohibition is more than a moral exhortation. And it's legally actionable. So there's lots of rhetoric there, right? Where the prohibitions that are not legally actionable are only moral exhortations, right? So that gets us into all our questions about what law is. Mm-hmm. Uh, two contradictory opinions are recorded in the Talmud. One maintains that Hezegri is not considered a substantial damage. The other opinion is that visual surveillance is considered a substantial damage. I'm not sure that there is such a machloka in the Gemara, but okay, we went through that. That might not be the machloka at all. It is the second opinion, which holds visual pre- penetration of, of privacy as tortious as actual trespass, using the word tortious in the article is a really good thing to do, by the way, you should all find ways to do it. <laughs> uh, um, that, uh, that is accepted by the halakha's authoritative. So we paskin has agriya Basically, this means that even in advance of actual privacy invasion, action may be brought to prevent such invasion from occurring. That's true. Thus, okay, we get the case of partnerships. Okay, so we've gone through this and the only categories we have are physical and non-physical. And hezekriya means real damage. And real, da- and it means real non-physical damage. Now we've gotten that there is a there is a legal substantive category of non-physical privacy. Interestingly, Nalacha um, does not simply permit one of the erstwhile partners, also a good word to use, uh, mm-hmm. to build a fence for his own protection, and then require his neighbor to share the expense because he's a beneficiary. But constructs the, but demands the construction of the wall so that each prevents himself. From spying on his neighbor, right? So this is an argument that becomes very popular, uh, based to some extent on the Shulchan Aruch right? The notion that sometimes you have to take, you have to engage yourself in action to prevent yourself from doing it, um, and, right? And therefore, it's a duty to protect someone else's privacy, um, which Raylan then you know, expands to a duty to protect one's own privacy, um, right? So that's, that's an interesting argument, right? So we have specific cases about that all within Hezek, all Hezek Ria, right? Okay, we move to page 290. Um, Thus, al insists upon the responsibility of each individual to not to put himself into a position where he can pry into his neighbor's personal domain, and this responsibility can be enforced by the courts. So we, right, so we do is we just, we take the maximalist interpretation of every halachic, of every halachic position, which is reasonable. That might, might very well be, wherever well maybe shot. Now we get to, or right, this is where we have the question of the, uh, of what, what, how we handle um, Tanya's rhetoric and his rhetoric, right? It should be added that while the discussion of the Talmud concerns visual access, 
The principle may be expanded to cover eavesdropping as well. Now we quote Miri. Uh, right? Miri is a negative. Um, however, the reason Miri gives is not that eavesdropping is any less heinous than spying as a private invasion of privacy. Heinous is a good word too. Mm -hmm. But that people normally speak softly when they think they will be overheard. So that, or you know, that's that's you know, Miri said might mean people normally speak softly when they think they may, they may be overheard, or people, or Miri might think that people must always speak softly because of the presumption that they may be overheard. He takes a reasonable interpretation. Where this reason does not apply, such as in wiretapping or electronic bugging, right, being moved, then obviously Hezek Shmi is as serious a violation and damage as Hezek Rita, right? So that what, what, what changes, right? All forms of surveillance, natural, mechanical, electronic, visual, oral. Okay, so here's what I get, the rhetorical shifts, which always matters. I think, and I think that one has to be conscious of, if only to prevent other people from making these arguments to you without you noticing them, the most important thing in any debating context is to shift the burden of proof. Mm -hmm. So if you start by saying that I need to justify the extension of Hezekiah, then you're going to lose. Because somebody's going to look at you and say, but it only says Hezekiah. If you start with the presumption that why would anyone distinguish? I don't even have the bother saying it. right? Reasonably, all people understand that the only reason, the only categories that exist are physical and non-physical. And here I have an example of non-physical, and now go home. Right? Somebody, now you prove to me it doesn't extend Hezekiah. Oh, you have a mirror who says it doesn't. But he tells you why. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's what I write, right? if you want to do this, and it's not wrong. If those are your categories, then how do you prove that those are in the right categories? It says right, yeah. Yeah? Well, what's it supposed to say? Something that doesn't literally mean seeing. Like what? <laughs> Give me a broad category for non-physical things. Non-physical damage. Has a data? I don't know. We don't really have it. Right? Has a That's already right. That has all sorts. Right? All yeah. that will have other kind of complicated legal implications. Mm -hmm. So it's not clear. We're talking about seeing, so we say seeing. Okay. I just think like, you know, that, it, that that I think is like one of the most important things to get about just the way like it's important that as a teacher, you know that which order you give people things in, right, is going to make a difference as to how they relate to them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and Dr. Salvatrix claimed that you know, that the way to control a class is to, uh, right, I gave the music analogy, is to ask a question and get them really committed to answering that question. And then whatever answer you give, the answer to that question will be the right answer, no matter how many other dope you have to make along the way. Mm -hmm. um, I think I didn't mention that Dr. Salvatrix once you know, he did this by, by teaching by teaching us a, um, a he, he taught us a, a sugya and then he taught us the grizzes you know the same sugya and we all just were like stunned at how obvious the grizz was wrong obviously the grizz was wrong and it just depended whether you were trying to read the bible with your shami and mm. yeah as i used to do that pen would give opposite shurim in consecutive weeks <laughs> um and not, not everyone noticed until you pointed it out because if you, you just frame the questions in ways that the contradictions wouldn't be obvious um so just be aware right that's a technique in every Every halakhic argument makes was at some point or the other is going to shift the burden, and you have to notice where the burden is, and for yourself, right? It's, think about like, where do I think the burden of proof should be? Uh, so I actually am not. It's not all obvious to me. I mean, if I were to ask you, right, misvara, right, misvara, the question is, am I allowed to steal? Right, am I am I allowed to steal your data? Right, is that what I think? That, why would I think you have limited to the visual? I think it takes more. I think it takes more argument to limit it to the visual. 
Right. I would start from the presumption that it's not necessarily expanded further than the cases that were given. And right, that's an assumption. You need, you need the burden to the other way. But you don't always, but you, but you, every case gets, but the notion, the fact of expanding beyond a specific case is always, right, is always an abstraction. Mm -hmm. right? Cases are points and abstractions are, abstractions are lines and, right, the point could go, right, the point is a tangent, right, the point, there are many, many lines that go, that go through that point. So, I, yeah, that, that per se, uh, what you have is a claim that the that the, that the Gemara itself gives you the line, which is Ria. Right? But you're, ob you're obviously expanding it past the case, past the case of courtyards already, right? You're expanding it past the case of visuals for people, right? You know, in a particular time. So I, I don't know. I think that's a. What, uh, is what you said before that expanding it to audio um, moving the burden of proof, is that what you're trying to say? But no, the question is whether whether the burden of proof is to show that it extends to things past sight, mm -hmm. or, sure, right? and unless you can prove, right? So I want evidence that it expands, and then people look at it and say, the only evidence you have is, the Meiri is, you say, because Meiri gives a reason, therefore, he must be telling you implicitly that it expands, and that looks weak, because you have no one who expands it, right? You're saying like the, you know, that all the evidence is only visual, and nobody ever took it past it. If you go the other way around, and you say that the, the category is non-physical, visual is non-physical, so now you have to prove to me that it doesn't apply, that it doesn't apply to audio. How are you going to prove that to me? You're going to tell me the Miri doesn't apply it, but the Miri says why. Right? You can't make the Miri a general claim. Miri doesn't apply to smell. Isn't like doesn't isn't like an essential like underlying move here that he um, is also moving it out of like the financial realm because otherwise it would be very easy to limit Hezekiah and even to claim that his, that whatever Hezekiah is is extremely limited but then he has to move it out of the financial realm which he does also like for that yeah it's also right question whether you know whether he moved right that um, it, he what he does is to, you know, I think which is I think it's also correct but you know is arguable is to say that you know the physical is a particular instance of what is obviously a broader issue, right? Every halakha has the, the realm, right? Has, you know, the full realm and the places where you can actually make it legally actionable, right? As opposed to this is just a category of Nezik and it's not legally actionable, so what? Uh, just uh, yeah. one line that I don't understand in light of what you just said. Yeah. Is one prominent medieval commentator, Rav Menachem Meiri, decides that while we must guard against Hezekiah, visual surveillance, we need not worry about oral surveillance. Right. So he says is. So he's saying Meiri doesn't consider. And then he says the next line, oh, but it next tells him right. Okay. Right. Meiri says why. Right. However, the reason Meiri gives us. Yeah. Right, uh, okay. Right. I guess I have to read the next line. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I read the article, but I didn't read yeah. that line. Right. That, that's right. That's that's the move. That's right. the move. I acknowledge yeah. that it's a valid interpretation of Hezekiah to say that. I'm just not uh -huh. convinced that it's correct, and I wouldn't. Okay, you don't have to buy it, right? And, I would put it his move. His move yeah. is the creation, right? And he ends again with the gravity of non-physical intrusion. Right? The next paragraph starts that, right? So he starts with a, with a move. The move is the categories are, are physical and non-physical. That's a move that's only non-intuitive. It's only intuitive or non-intuitive. It's not an evidence-based or an evidence-countering move. And now you've decided to bite or not. You know, that's a... Uh, uh, this is leaving aside the question of what the word physical means, right? Because obviously sound and light are both physical categories as are smell. And you could have somebody having a different argument about which things are more physical and which things are less physical. And we wanted to really have fun. We could start talking about the, the different forms of Nebuah with, with Vayar and Vayishma and which one is higher.
<laughs> and right, argue that obviously whichever is a higher form of the Vua is better, is right, is, is is less physical. And we could uh, we could have lots of fun doing that. But okay. But there are always there are always ways out of these. Like if you wanted to, you could be overly technical and say, well, you know, they write court transcripts, and those are read with your eyes. So obviously recording your sound is Hezekshmiya. It's Hezekshmiya, not Hezekshmiya. Because you wrote it down and everyone read it with their eyes. And then it's Hezekshmiya, Hezekshmiya. Therefore, what? I didn't tell the everyone to leave it. Since these audio transcripts are usually written down by transcribers, and then you read them with your eyes. When you read ah. them with your eyes, you're doing Hezekshmiya and not Hezekshmiya. Oh, good, right? So we have, to, yeah. we have transformation questions, right? Yeah. Right. But I think we could argue that, you know, that you're, you're not, you know, that, you know, we, I, I, I know, it's a little cheating because someone else wrote it down, so now it becomes visual. Well, like I said, it's the over-technicalizing argument, yeah, which I some think people like. I some people you. like it, and it, it works sometimes. Sometimes it's a good move, especially if you want them to come, if you want stubborn people who don't like to think in ideas to come to your conclusion. It's a very effective move. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> what? Yes. I think like half of Haiti post came at least, maybe three quarters. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say is that <laughs> I wouldn't put the same category, necessarily put the same people in the same category, though. Any case, yes. But it's, it's interesting. I don't think Rabbi Lamb is that kind of thinker at all, though. He doesn't like seem to like over technicalizing anything I bet by him. He likes the opposite. He likes taking the technical details and fitting them to some ideological framework, but to you know express the ideas better. So, he yeah, likes I all think... the details to be in service of some framework. Yeah, I mean, I think this the part we're trying to get at is that. Uh, so I'll, I'll tell you a story you know, that, that that had a real influence on me. Um, that uh, their uh, their Lamb's one of Lamb's great contemporaries, Rabbi Emanuel Rachman. I didn't give you his article, but he also has an article in Privacy. But it's much later, so it's derivative. Uh, and but he, you know, was whatever he was a losing candidate for for, uh, for president. This was the whole separate issue um, for president of Wayu. Um, to Rabbi Lamb, uh, but um, he, was, he, he was one of the figures who wrote the big public uh, non-Orthodox statements. And I, you know, and it, and it's really interesting books, and I read his books, and they didn't reach me, because I liked the conclusions, but they had no Makarot. You read the books, and you thought, here's a really interesting moral person, but it fitted into a stereotype that we had of, you know, of Shul Rabbi the previous generation who just really weren't learned on the same level because they didn't have guys who just come back from yeshiva, little and women who come back from, uh, from yeshiva, you know, challenging them in Shul. And so even if they had been able to learn when they left yeshiva, they would slowly deteriorate. And, and that was like a vision that we, that's why none of us wanted to be Shul Rabbi, um, which I think happily has changed a lot. Um, but this is when I, when I, when I was young, I dated because I was single. And, um, and that was my impression of a reckman. You know, he, he engaged in all sorts of fights, some of which I was on his side, some of which I was, I was, would have liked to have been on his side, but couldn't be. But you didn't get a sense of a, you know, of a major Talmud Chacham because he didn't write. And then it happens one day at the end of, of a failed date, I was waiting for a, I was waiting for a train in the five towns. And this family comes over to me and says, you know, our grandfather uh, was this little man. Um, he was going to New York and he, you know, and, he, and we'd really like to make sure that someone kept an eye on him. Uh, you know, so he goes right to make sure that he's safe. And I said, sure. Um, so I sat down next to him and I said, well, what's your name? And he said, Emmanuel Rackman. <laughs> and I said, the Emmanuel Rackman? And he said, yes, the Emmanuel Rackman. <laughs> <laughs> which was a great response. <laughs> uh, and then he said, what are you learning? 
And I said, as you know, the time I was learning with Yaakov again, I'd be like to say, well, we're doing a Zara together. <laughs> I said, we're learning, we're learning about Zara. And we got into this great conversation about which Achronim were the best Achronim of Zara. And yeah, he really used them. He really used them. It was glorious. But he didn't write that way. Right? It was just a way, it was a way of thinking that, right, that the way to write convincingly about Halakha was to create a large moral frame, moral and ethical framework, and have enough details to try to make the argument plausible to somebody who's reading it for the first time, and not to overwhelm you with technicalities. Mm-hmm. So, right, so this is a mode of thinking about halakha, uh, which you can find many, and it's not, it's not a modern orthodox as opposed to a Haredi way, because if you read Haredi literature at the same time, you'll get these sweeping pictures, just, you know, it might be a different content, but you'll get the same sweeping pictures. So another question I wonder about is whether you know is is whether we lost something when we stopped thinking about that as the way to, as right as the way to write about halacha or the way to think about halacha. Um, again, you know, it didn't work for me when I read a reactions pieces. Uh, you know, I felt sad. Like, look, those are results I would like to reach, but I'm really not convinced um, by thinking that way. And to some extent, I said, okay, so I'll go learn. Um, and see if I can find ways to uh, find ways to root that. Um, so I think that's I think it, I think it is um, I think that's like an issue that I want people to think about. Like, what should the rhetoric of halakha um, be like? Uh, you know, you, so what, you have to talk to your audience, but you have to but you have to figure out but when you when you are the audience, right? Think, but what do I want to respond to? How do I want to encourage mm-hmm. people to um, to think about it? I think that's worth it. Uh, Rilan was great at that. I know was great at that. Uh, he wasn't trying to put down every you know, every jot and tittle, and check. I didn't think he needed that. And he thought if you had you know that, that if you had enough to ground it, you had made your case, and then people would evaluate it based on whether they found that overall argument convincing, and not whether they thought you could come right. Because the worst comes the worst. Okay, we'll say you know what this is the halacha, and we don't pass it like those do. And it's not brisk, right? It's just different categories than brisk. And Brisk would use like would use formal categories, and he would use moral categories. But they're both thinking about categories. Any case, okay. So I think that I think the the right, the first big issue is where the burden of proof goes. Uh, the second question is, do you think that physical and non-physical are the right categories? Um, because it's not necessarily right. It, you could think about whether the like mm-hmm. what thing lets you find out more about the person. I can think about just why is it that. Do people get embarrassed the same way, right? Is it the same when they overheard as when they're seen, uh, right? And why not, right? There are all sorts of other contexts like that, you know, right? Bathrooms also, right? Bathrooms are not soundproof. But we train ourselves to ignore the sounds, uh, right? We could train ourselves to ignore visual things also. We have to in some cases, right? So those are all, right? So those are, those are all, um, those, um, those, those are, I think, all viable questions. Okay, we have Hezekria. Uh, but Tani's not convinced, so um, he has failed to convince us, probably. But we may have convinced ourselves. Uh, what else do we have? Snoot is also good. So tell me, tell me how Snoot generates a right to privacy. So Snoot is your obligation to protect your own privacy, uh-huh. um, and that can also generate an obligation on other people to protect your Snoot. What do you mean by privacy? Tell me how Snoot relates to privacy. Snoot is you not revealing, I guess, personal details about yourself to other people. Aha. So, for example, I walk okay. over to 
this strange person in a public space and I say, hi, I'm Arya Clapper. I come from Sharon, Massachusetts. And Tramalk looks at me as an obviously unsinua person because why does she need to know where I come from? Right, obviously there's some things that are fine to share and some things that aren't. I didn't know that was obvious. You told me there's a category called sneeze. So do you think that? Do you think that sneeze? Because now that, then we're not talking about privacy anymore, unless you think right, you have to define privacy better. It's not just any information about me. You don't have to say that. You could say that actually the only reason that I'm allowed to do that is that you could explain why there's a hector to tell where, say where you're from in public conversations. You could say that there's a value in getting to know each other and that you're allowed to reveal as much information as is necessary to allow other people to get to know each other. Right, but it's always it's always been it's always the huya, right? So everything I would argue that. Huya would want you to be very curt in how you're. You can say you learn it. You learn it from Matavu Alachiyako. If you know there, the entrances are pointing away, but they still know where the tents are, so it's okay for you to reveal where you live specifically. Ah, good. Everyone's allowed to know which tent you go into. Well, I'm trying to. Tony, what would, when you said that, right? Steals means the right to protect your privacy. What did you mean by privacy? I mean, it's, there, there's, there must be some threshold of things that are overly personal that you shouldn't share versus things that are not overly personal that you can share. How do you know it has to do with personal as opposed to the nature of certain kinds of physical activities? What do you mean by the nature of certain kinds of physical activities? Where have you extended Snoot beyond that you shouldn't do things that are sexual in public? Sexual and public. Right. Like, why does he mean protecting my privacy as opposed to, let's say, uh, I should be careful not to intrude my sexuality on other people? Well, I'm, I'm asking. I can't remember what it was. I was also surprised to see that word used that way. So, my friend, I'm asking, right? Tony makes it work. I could, I could argue that Hilfitsnit is not, Hilfitsnit, if it has anything to do with privacy, it has to do with other people's right to privacy from my sexuality, not if I'm protecting my own sexuality. Right. So which one are you arguing? You said I have a right to protect. So where do you get to see that I have an obligation to protect information about myself? That right, that that that's that's a leap. So I'm trying to, to ask where that leaps came from. Let's the what? The says what? So now we're not. So now we're not in Sneut. We're now we're now we're in. Now we're, in uh, now we're now we're talking. About, we're generalizing from a different halacha about creditors. He grounds that in Sneut. He grounds that in Sneut. So the Chizkuni grounds that in Sneut. Uh, okay. So that's a. Uh, you know, that's an interesting basis for Brodala. I, I would use that more as like a Siman than a Siba. Yeah. So, so where did you get it from, right? You're trying, you know, you were all bothered by 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 uh, Hezekiah extending extending to other areas. So I'm trying to figure out how you got right. Why? Oh, is... uh, I, I'm I, I'm making the argument that you I'm making the equivalent argument of Hezekiah with Snape. But you find it more compelling by Snape, or you just or you don't. Um, I think I've seen more sources on Hezekiah than I've seen on Snoot, and therefore I'm less convinced by the generalization. Aha, uh -huh. so knowledge is a dangerous thing. Yeah. Knowledge is interesting. Interesting. Do you think in ordinary orthodox rhetoric that's what that's Snoot means? Like if you, if, you, if, you, if you tell people that's not Sanua, right, when they are uh, spilling, 
they're spilling right people are spilling emotionally oh yeah right? and you look at them and you say that's not sanua do you think that will be coherent to the average orthodox audience i mean i think people mostly understand snoot in the visual sense uh -huh. But I not there's a Gemara that seems to say that. There is a Gemara about Sneut, which seems to say that. It talks about how that to mean? So I would argue that in times of great emotion that people have deserves of privacy. That's why we have In times of great emotion, people have expectations of privacy? Well, you have, you should, in times when That's you- we have weddings. You know, like weddings and weddings and funerals. It basically says like, you need to have like COVID rush essentially, like in these things. But they're big public not, events. Not the same, which is not the same as what we're saying. On the other hand, I do think that they're like, it's not unreasonable to extrapolate that from that some sense of like, we we think snoot to be like it's certainly a way in which we're using snoot um not just as some sort of visual indicator like that's the only place in the gemara that i know of that we directly like darshan from that pasuk about like that's and it's about how you conduct yourself at weddings and funerals so what do you think what does it mean about conducting yourself at funerals like, I mean, what, what do we learn from that what i think it do? means you don't spend too much money on your funeral and have a giant don't funeral. too much money yeah, I think it's the opposite of Yuha. I think the other meaning of Tzniyot is I think it's the opposite of Yuha. What if, what if you we should... take the, the other direction on this Gemara, right, which is the Sheltos, which says that it's about poverty, right, and you're protecting the privacy mm -hmm. of, the, of the poor people by not talking about the fact that it's being done for, for poor people, right? That's what Sheltos says it means. Sure. Yeah, that, would, that would be much more directly related to privacy. Uh, okay, so we, we might have Makura for economic privacy. And that would also cover the creditor case, right? That we're talking about economic privacy. But it's a it's a move, right? So we have visual privacy, and have economic privacy, emotional privacy is uh is a large step up for that. I can argue counter, right? We require weddings to be done in front of 10 people, we require funerals to be done, right? We right, we we ask everyone to come visit mourners. Um, right. So we don't seem to be into emotional privacy at all. So I'm influenced. Rabbi Tversky is a So you can the Talmud Rabbi or the head of Judaic studies or whatever you want. So he was he, uh, and I thought he lived it. Right, he lived very much. Um, and there's a curriculum written by Rabbi Marvin Simkovich about this. Uh, right, tried to argue for uh, an expansion of of tzniut, um as you know, as with privacy as a value. Um, but the model he was working was is as a metaphor. Uh, right, that um, you never reveal all of yourself. The goal is to be a sufficiently deep person that even if you reveal more than other people might about themselves, they're still right. You're still you're still a much larger iceberg that you're not right. That you're not um, that you're not showing. And I, I thought that was you know, that he lived he lived that um, enormously. I remember the only shall should have up as I think I ever understood at the time was on Yosef Hitzchafnas Panea. Which, as opposed to revealer of secrets, what the way he interpreted it was, yeah, it was mm -hmm. somebody somebody who was mostly safun, uh, right? Mm -hmm. Who would reveal himself to the extent necessary, and he was very into the notion that mm -hmm. the Egyptians never really knew who Yosef was. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, I just yeah. had something to add that, like, also depends on like the culture that you're in. So, like, maybe in some countries, like people just 
have the the practice of revealing a lot about themselves and in other cultures people are very private so maybe it's like also an etiquette thing so like and you have to do you have to act according to like maybe what that society that group of people does maybe but also like let's say artists like they tend to reveal a lot more about themselves i think musicians than like your average american person in america so like it just like it kind of depends on like the people you're around i think could be the same argument about is we have about visuals it, right do you right can, you know it does what you wear depend entirely on social standards or are there are certain things that we say to you this society has gone too far and i'm gonna you know insist that you wear uh that you wear the dafka i'm gonna go the opposite direction i'm gonna wear the the most uh, the most covering clothing i can in order to show how much i revolt against the society and that gets into arab issues also it's not just new uh no i mean as long as we're not actually revealing things that are Arab. well yeah i wasn't right now talking about like visual to you right it was more talking about like, emotional i understand that but maybe so maybe it's the really same thing on the place. Yeah. like i think in israel people are just like at least where i used to live in jerusalem just like are more open than like a lot of the american people i'm around these days so like really depends like who you're with could be or it could be that you should be horrified by it yeah. and that you should right. that you should treat it as the equivalent of living in a society where no one where everyone wears too little clothing i think the leap here is not actually from one sneeze in one area to another area. i think the really yeah. big leap is from sneeze an obligation on the person who the thing is being revealed about which it almost which it is in every situation to an obligation on other no, people not to reveal we, we, we already have like like the people who bring in sneeze in the context of uh like the um the 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 gemara Boster with the windows right oh, the rush right. explicitly like says that the reason we have the multi thing is because of um uh tineos. So that already is allowing you to impose an obligation on someone else to protect your team. And then, then there's also the Chizkuni on the... Maybe, but it's it's not as strong. I don't think the leap that you're saying with different types of privacy is so strong. So we have serious all kinds of situations. Like I just have, uh, there's a ton of women that are too, whatever, about mm -hmm. um, Moshe and, uh, in the Ohal Moe talking to God being a serious thing. There's nothing it's a wild God. idea. Right? I wrote about that one. but uh, I, read, I, read, I read a whole article about that concept that... Um, God likes Tznius. Um, that's why he starts talking to the Illinois. But it's also really interesting because he also, you know, he became Tanua right after talking to Moshe Harsinai. So it tells you that there are times when Tznius is overwhelmed. It's a, it's a default, but it doesn't get you all the way. Uh, it's really interesting. I do, you know, I I found um, when I first came to, you know, but not almost every environment I went to outside of Yeshiva, uh, which is really all I'd ever been in. Uh, at first and still overwhelms me as you know as uh, it feels on Sanua because people are much more emotionally open wait you're here shiva outside of shiva oh, right? outside you know shiva. i i went to an all-male uh you know, very classically constructed yeshiva environment that way where uh, you know where you you, know, you bonded by insulting each other <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know and you could learn with somebody for three years and you might accidentally know something about them whereas like right. i feel like i have the opposite experience i feel like the yeshiva that i've been in i've often had some of like the most like soul-bearing conversations mm -hmm. with people within a very short period of time knowing them yeah. in most other spaces that dafka i think it can be it can go to either extreme yeah, no i think it's a cultural expectation the thing that yeah. never ceases to surprise me is how open or soloveitchik is about his personal life and his writings this is true but so also has an essay which i can never find again where he says where he says that he thinks this is wrong and teachers should not expose themselves to their students, but that it's a necessity of modernity for teachers to do this, even though he finds it very painful. 
So it's a very, uh, and that was very useful for me uh, earlier, early in my career, because I felt the same way. It was very painful to do it. And was able, yeah, but the rough said you had to do this. Uh, so mm -hmm. perhaps you have to, uh, over time, perhaps you get too accustomed to it. Um, but more, I think part of, you know, I think certainly, you know, this very, very personal issue is I think like again, and at Wexner and all these environments, which um, it was clear that people have been raised in those environments, knew what to say in such situations that would not reveal anything they cared about. And what I always objected to them morally was that the people who weren't raised would always be stuck because they didn't know how to set boundaries. And they didn't, right, they didn't, know, they didn't, they didn't know what they could say that wouldn't come back to hurt them, uh, like me. I, you know, there are people, people had their, their automatic deflections where they would talk, talk about something that would be just personal enough to get people to think they were sharing, but not so personal they cared. Uh, you know, and I had to try like secondary deflections, like, you know, I always like to try and introduce the person next to me uh, or something like that. So I wouldn't have to talk about myself. Uh, and I, would, I, I thought at the time that it was really um, like a moral issue that like you were forcing people to disrobe emotionally in public. And it flipped me out that they didn't see it that way. And then they had to only realize that they didn't see it that way because that was a process they had been used to and they knew exactly what the boundaries were. Uh, and I didn't know what the boundaries were, so I was lost. Uh, mm -hmm. But it'd be interesting to know, like, I don't, I don't know that I have deeply, I can say I have a Masoret because I read the article from the Rove that was very, you know, that was very important to me when I was younger. And I watched Rabbi Tversky and mm -hmm. Lichtenstein was very much the, uh, was very much the same way that you know that you, it was always obvious that he connected privacy and dignity, mm. and that emotional display was unsanua in certain ways. And you know, and then the challenge often was, but you know, you had to convey things, right? You want you you didn't want people students not to know how you felt about them, but you also felt it was unsanua to jump up and down. As one of the, one of my friends who you know, once commented to me that she told her little scene about her the birth of her first trial that she could. You know, his, his voice his voice was like this as it always was, but you could feel inside that he was jumping up and right, that, he, that he was jumping up and down inside, yeah. and uh, that stayed with me when because at the end of his life, Lichtenstein didn't have emotional control, mm. and I got to see him at a, at a, at a wedding uh, of a mutual student. So the end of life, it was just a wild thing to see him actually emoting, um, and like see so my friend had been right, just he had been under rigid self control. Uh, the whole way through, he was thinking with it, with the, uh, you know. With I have a Rashi for you about emotional privacy, if that helps. Yeah, so give me okay. a right, 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 right. So Rashi says, "Dava Acha." This is on Hatzena Lechadim Ulkafan Mita. Hatzena Lecha, Loki Midat Hakadosh Baruch Hu Midat Basavadam Midat Basavadam Adam Levayish Shut Chaveru Bar Lefaiso Amr Lo Eini Mitzvat Lecha Ad Shevo Ploni Ploni Shabizitit Tani Lifnehem. But Hakadosh Baruch Hu Eini Chafetz Sheyashuv Ella Beino Levenatzma. God, 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 God doesn't demand public apologies, but human beings do. Right, and God doesn't want you. Not doesn't demand it. He doesn't want you to do public apologies. But maybe if that's you because... embarrass God in front of other people, He wants you to return to do tshuva in front of Him. He doesn't want you to go back to the other people and say, "No, actually, God was great, and He did. He was secretly awesome all along. They shouldn't have said bad things about Him." Yeah, too. maybe that's maybe that's because God understands that demanding a public apology is, is really just an attempt to embarrass other people as payback, and it's not really about it's not really about your tzniyos. As if that was sure. a shame. Well, he's using it from Tzinez. He is saying it from Tzinez, right? That's fair. That's fair. Also, uh, yes, I just wanted to add, like, in America, I think, like, a lot of people are on, like, psychological meds. So that, like, kind of des desensitizes people as well. As, like, you know, like, antidepressants mm -hmm. desensitize people to certain emotions, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. And, like, what is it? There's a book, like, Prozac Nation. 
Plus, the culture desensitizes you sometimes. So it's like, if you live in a culture where everybody's right. spilling emotionally, and like a lot of the people are taking meds, so it just really depends. That's right. And then if you're in a place where everybody's, you know, like maybe they're not taking meds and they're very not desensitized, so then they're just more sensitive. Also. Yeah, but it could be that well, we need to try. Right? Like yeah. the again, like what as seen like building off of that again like what is seen as private not just like what is seen as like acceptable levels of privacy but what is seen as being private or not private is just based off the norms of something so like there there are lots of spaces you can be in today where it's like saying oh hey i'm on antidepressants wouldn't be like oh wow that person just revealed something deeply like intimate about them it's just like a normal yeah. thing to like share with people who know you and to be like, oh yeah, what dosage are you on? And that's like a thing that people yes. just like discuss and it wouldn't feel like they're like bearing their soul to somebody. Whereas in other environments or like decades ago, that might be like, wow, you just shared like really personal well, information. We have an anti-stigma campaign, right? Where we, mm -hmm. right, and this is one of the, one of the challenges of American society is that anything, right, is that anything you keep secret is interpreted, not unreasonably as, right, as stigmatic. And so therefore we want people to stop hiding things about themselves because if you hide things about yourself, then other people get embarrassed about the same thing, um, right? And that creates a stigma. And so we have a, we have a, you know, a bias towards transparency. But also what I was saying, like with the antidepressants is like, not that somebody would be scared to tell somebody else that they're taking antidepressants, but rather when a person takes antidepressants, they might, I think like, for example, they're not as sensitive to like sadness or like a lot of other emotions. There are, I mean, yeah, okay, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. All yeah, that. I'm okay. not a psychiatrist, so yeah, yeah I don't know all the information, but I know that so. I'm pretty sure that like meds affect people's emotions. So, like, and openness, and openness, Prozac, right? Prozac makes yeah. you less, less private. Less scared of everyone. Less yeah, scared of exposing like, yourself. Okay. Antidepressants makes you yeah. less private. It makes uh, as okay. as far as I know, the little I know is that okay. it just makes you more like a drunk person. So oh, no, I don't mean okay. that in a mean way. I don't mean that in. You just have to like do some research first. Okay, okay fine. Yeah. I, 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 I'm certain not an drugs, this, certain yeah. drugs remove inhibitions. That is true. That is certain. I don't need yeah. to offend anybody by that. Right. No, certain drugs certainly remove inhibitions. We can leave. Other people who would like people to be on drugs like to claim that they have no side effects. Okay, right. We're going to get into we're going to get into many many. Yeah. Right. What I would say is that generally, generally there is a, a fear, and certainly in the Orthodox community, many campaigns are being run mm -hmm. to to right to right to encourage people to talk about things publicly that were not talked about uh, publicly yeah. previously. And there, and the reason for that is usually argued that right that not talking about it is dangerous because it leads to stigma, mm -hmm. and that is you know, a plausible argument in many cases, and it has a price, and the price right it has a price, and that it, you know there's much more exposure about those sorts of things. And we have to figure out how you deal with that. I think there's also a push in orthodoxy that we don't really don't like interpreting things in physical terms because that um, creates a, a major a major disadvantage in in rhetoric about about gender. And so there's a big push to say we want we want to explain the stance as part of a much bigger idea of which physical stance as imposed on women specifically is only a part and it's an expression of a much bigger idea and it's not about it's not about um, trying to control women. Uh, at least I this one orthodox I was part of that was a big push. Uh, I think it does depend on who you ask in modern orthodoxy, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> The key difference between SNEOS and other things when it comes to privacy is going to be that SNEOS permission is going to make no difference at all. Because SNEOS is fundamentally, even if you could also impose obligations on other people, it's fundamentally obligation on the person whose the facts are being revealed about. So giving him, him giving permission wouldn't mean anything. It'd be like him giving permission to help him commit Nevada. 
is not going to help. Whereas something like Hezek Re'iyah, Hindu should make a great deal of difference because uh, obviously you only create the wall to begin with because he didn't give permission to, because he wanted well, to- That's assuming if you think that the reason for Tzniyos is something is, right, is not to protect you. If you think the reason- for Of course it isn't. It's mainly an obligation on you. Why? Because every situation where it's cited is an obligation on you, except for the odd situation here and there. It's always cited as an obligation on people, like talk about obligation on Sadiqim to keep their mitzvah hidden from other people. So not have you heard it. It's always it's an obligation. Every basically every case, Sirius is an obligation. There might be a few exceptions, like the Pamakha brought up, but the general rule there's an obligation on the person who who the facts so are. Rabbi Lamb's argument, which you know, is that there is that the Shulchan Harav framed it very much as an obligation, right? You have to avoid being in situations where you would infringe on someone else's need. Sure, but that might I be. A second, I think that would be a secondary application right. of Theos. It's an extension of Theos that's saying because you have such a strong obligation and it's phrased so strongly to not reveal facts about yourself, you shouldn't rip that away, the opportunity to fulfill an obligation away from other people. No, maybe other people should be Tsunua because, other, right, because otherwise they're imposing themselves on you. I don't think so. It's not how it's framed anywhere. I mean, it would be nice. Uh, it's just not framed that way in any of the sources. Well, I, mean, I like looked the, at like 20 of them, and none of them say it that way. Well, I, I really want to bring in the Gemara and Suus about this, right? The one about your about your fingers and your ears, right? Uh, um, yes. your, your fingers are pointy, so they stick and they fit in your ears, right? And the Sefer Chassidim, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's always thinking of Sefer Chassidim, um, says, um, right, the Kolshikain, Yimtishma, Isha, Oisha, Chad, Medaberi, Hal Chavero, Oisha, Medaberi, Hal Chavercha, Sheinlul Hashiv Klal, Kimalo, Litzarazo, Alas, Right, that seems to be pretty clearly like there are things that are private that you don't need to involve yourself in and you should be closing your ears so you don't hear them because the Gemara just says Dabrashina Hagan, which is like very vague. Well, that right. sounds like a Lashon Hara thing, though. It doesn't sound like a Theos thing to me. Well, maybe Lashon Hara is just a function of Theos. Yeah. No, they're never connected anywhere. I'm not uh -huh. inventing spurious connections that don't exist anywhere in the text. That's the, whole, that's the whole enterprise that we're doing here. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you need something. If you want to say Lashon Hara is a function of Sears, you need some source that says Lashon Hara is a function of Sears, preferably written before the year 1000. It's got to be one of those things. Uh, right. <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, interesting. I mean, okay. The argument Please. is both Sneud and Lashon Hara stem from the right to rights. <laughs> the difference is not, not to necessarily like um, I mean, like, like, like he's not—he's he's definitely not necessarily talking about true Lashon Hara, right? In context, because um, the next thing he says is, if, if you hear them say something mean about your parents, then you should just say that's not true, and then, and then stop. Mm -hmm. um, so he's definitely not at least not talking about not talking only about true about true Lashon Hara, right? Which would um. Uh, okay. Um, hmm. Okay. At the end of the day. Uh, Miriam, what do you think? Do you think that um, do you think that uh, that we've made a convincing case that Sneos as a legal form that creates a general right to privacy? I've been very quiet today because I haven't really had a real weirdly um, <laughs> because I haven't had a real sense of where you're going with all of this, and I just like in the last couple of minutes kind of figured that out. And I didn't want to like go off on tangents, but I wasn't sure where where we were so it sounds like just to kind of back up and make sure that i'm on the same page mm -hmm. it sounds like <laughs> setting aside you know drug use and um and rhetorical fallacies um, <laughs> 
which is just awesome. Um, it sounds like what we're saying is if we can equate SNES with privacy, then that has you know huge ramifications because one, if privacy is um, what we were talking about earlier with you know has agreed on all of this then that means that I can just however I want, just as I can be in my courtyard however I want, and it's your job to make a curtain, and it's your job to not look, um, which... As long as you're in your space. You can't walk into my courtyard. It's not my job to keep, keep a window, but put a win block a window. Okay, yeah. but in that case, if I'm walking about in Shira Rabim, I can be walking about in my little bikini, and you know, it's on you and that's a lot. Who says? No, that, that's a big jump. I don't know if that's true. Well, Nobody. That's how we're, if we're equating, we're saying CS is the exact same thing. Where does it say Hezekiah means that I asked, right? means that men have to go around blindfolded if women wear bikinis. You're telling, oh, yeah, not, uh, but if that is what we're saying, that I, I am agreeing with you. I'm raising that as a problem. Right. So I'm, I'm assuming, right. So I'm assuming not. I'm assuming that, that Hezekiah. I'm assuming Hezekiah does not, not does not require blindfolds on men in Rosh Hashanah. I don't think anymore ever applies. No, Hezekiah. I think well, it might require because Sneud therefore is not the same. So I took Sneud. I said, all right, so let's say it's equal. If it's yeah. equal, then this so I'm asking which way is the equation going? I'm not following. As far as it goes, and because it goes in this direction, which doesn't work, then I have to say that Sneud has agreed. I cannot be the same. So I, I'm not sure where, no. what your starting point was. Where what, what where do you think it is clear that if that that um, <laughs> that there would be an obligation on one party to avoid. Uh, to right, to and the other, the, the, what case do you have where it's the or has a is an obligation entirely on one party? So you had a case in terms of the courtyard, right? The, the right that I'm allowed to be in my courtyard, and you have to right, you have to make sure there's a wall so that you can't see me, right? right? Although we both have to pay for the wall, but um, right, right. So yeah, that was actually interesting to me because Rabbi Lamb says that the obligation is on you to pay for it. The obligation is on you to make sure that you do not visually penetrate the other person's. Um, if you create something new, right? I think that's right. If there's a partnership, then the obligation is on both of you. But if I build a new house that now overlooks your courtyard, right? So you, right? So that, right? So that's totally on me. Yeah, he didn't say that, but okay, we can, okay. We can assume that. That's right. I mean, he knew the generals. <laughs> yeah. So right, let's say this right. So, so it's right. I think it is a, I think it is an important move, assuming that we buy it halacha, which I think we do. That. Um, that when you that if you create a new situation that allows you to infringe on someone else's property, then the obligation is on, on visually, and the obligation is on you to. So I that, think it still works. So I'm the, I'm I'm walking down the street in my bikini, yeah. my rishirabim. You choose to come out into the rishirabim. Before you came, nobody was looking at me. I was fine. But now here you come. You're going to look at me. And if I but if I got out there first and right, so you, right, then you can't walk. <laughs> Right. No, I bring your shirt with me. Right, that's why I, I think I say I don't think public spaces are the right analogy because public spaces I think have to be negotiated in advance because right because we have to figure out both of us should have a right to walk into the public space and neither of us should have a right to do anything. But that's that exactly the other. But that's exactly what Hezekiah is. It's about a public space. That's what that's what we care from. It's about a space that shared between two shirts and how they should negotiate the obligation. It's not about a no, space. it's about a space that used to be shared. Sure. But I mean, we could use, for example, I think Hezekiah would be a good argument for saying we want a wall on the beach between men and women. Hezekiah does not find spaces. But I'm, I'm trying to figure out how, 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 how do we, what I want to know is like, what's the, 
I mean, it could conceivably, right? If you if you think Anahara applies to gold to diamond rings, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. um, right? So I can't stare at your diamond ring in public either. But what I'm interested, how would you how would you draw the analogy to its to right to its in the right? That's what I was trying. Mary, mm -hmm. I think Mary were making assumptions about Sneud that I wasn't getting. Right. As a, so what was the argument you were trying to make? Because I was not following. Because I was not following. Let's go back to that. What what did you want to say? I was thinking in my head, can we really say that Hezekiah has the same thing as the same? Um, my next step was, well, let's see what happens. If this is Hezekiah and we replace Hezekiah with Sneud in that situation, does it still work? Um, uh, or do we get a situation of absurdity? Okay, but so you're assuming it's new, what you mean by Sneud is physical Sneud, and you're making certain assumptions about the way physical Sneud works illogically. Yes, which might be wrong. Right, so that that that, that would have to be right. So you can because I think that we had the conversation earlier that Sneud that's not physical Sneud is hard to portray. Right, and Sneud is physical. Also, there isn't a really good. There isn't really good. Yeah, I argued in my. I argued that you know what we call Sneud doesn't actually exist. Halachically, Hilchas Sneud in Shulchan Aruch is all about men. Right, there are no, there's, it doesn't really do it at all. It's all about what men do in the privacy of the, in the privacy of their private single bedrooms. Um, and what we call what we call sneud for women is really just a function of with neighbor. And it's really just a halachot about not intruding on men's privacy. No, exactly right. Right, that again, that that, that is a you know an admittedly idiosyncratic reframe of uh, of sneud, that it's really all about the men's right men's right to private thoughts. And right, if you force somebody to think about things they don't want to think about, so that's an intrusion on their thoughts. Uh, and that's right, and that, that's really because there's no nobody can find any halakha for me about how women have to dress prior to you know, there, there's no such halakha. It's only halakha that women are allowed to think about. Yeah, interesting question, but hair, but hair may have to be totally independent. What, what hair is about maybe totally independent. I mean, if you look how close Neos up in the Shulchan Aruch, right, you're going to find all the stuff about like, men. sex and about men. Yeah. That's it. About the topic of thoughts, I just wanted to add, like, I think that, like, that's another area of mental health that, like, the Torah probably, sh like, teachers should focus on more, which is, like, in psychology, they say, like, when you're trying to control your thoughts a lot, then that could, like, actually lead to... Uh, Mental health problems, basically. Yeah, or like, uh, if you don't know how to do it correctly. Yeah, no, that is a that is a very deep so issue. That's the thing that people. Yeah, it's getting more popular to talk about it now, but like, it's this is true. It's, it causes a lot of problems. For a lot of separate people. discussion. Yeah, I think it is separate. Yeah. Masako has an article about that also that he showed me. And you know, he was yeah. spending lots of months of time out, of course, and other people. Uh, the mental mental health and how we deal with yeah, how we deal with whether halacha is interpreted for men, you know, has risks yeah. of obsession and things like that is a. Is also it, for yeah. women, like, yeah. I yeah. already met a few women that have like psychological problems because they're trying to control their thoughts. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. And and they, they didn't know how to do it correctly, so it messed them up. Like. But to get back to like the conversation, like looking at Snood and mm -hmm. yeah, I my understanding of what we're doing isn't trying to find one isolated thing that is privacy it's looking at kind of the implications of each thing and how they overlap to okay build good privacy. so so yes yes exactly i i like that it's, it was a term i was familiar with before and it makes a lot of sense to me so um so okay so what do we have we have has a great yeah right, and then we have snius 
I think the problem with sinus is it's very, it's very, it's very, very little halachic, right? Sinus is one of the things that functions, that really functions more as a value than as mm -hmm. a than as a law. And the challenge is we don't really know what the value is, uh, right? That really, I think, is a, some of us, you know, some of us have a very physical conception of the value, which is also much closer to law. Uh, and some of us have a much more metaphorical uh, conception of it. And some of that just depends on whether you're the kind of person who worries very much about emotional exposure. Um, or doesn't, or whether you know whether you. Know, I think most of many of us are probably not ambivalent about most people disclosing themselves. Right? There's a lot of people who are not ambivalent about it. It's just see it as a trust. Yeah, and that's uh, you know others mm -hmm. are always nervous when people disclose themselves to you because why should right, why should they make themselves vulnerable that way? Mm -hmm. Right? What have I done? I wouldn't want to make myself vulnerable to you. It's a burden of proof. <laughs> right. That's it. Right. So those yeah. those are. I think those are. To some extent, I mean, as Rita says, those are totally cultural. I think one of the things, you know, to be part of my cultural moment is that people too often presume that those are universally shared cultural mm -hmm. um, things, and you need, you know, we need to recognize that there are people who don't have that cultural. In the same way that if you dress a certain way, and other people don't want to dress a certain way, you're making that person uncomfortable. You're not really being free. You're just right, you're just creating coercion one co coercion towards exposure. Um, so we also need to recognize that. And I, I have that say very personally because I've been in you know, endless numbers of environments that felt coercive to me um, that yeah. way. But that's just because you know because who I am. I blame yeah. it on my you know other particular yeshiva I went to and the, or the yeshiva culture that I was raised in, which I'm sure is highly obsolete. I personally um, feel that there can be a value to making people uncomfortable, but you want to be very calculated and careful about how you do that. Yeah, I don't like that kind of, you know, I don't like icebreakers. You know, people have persuaded yeah. me for years, right? So, you know, so I, I hire other people right. to do icebreakers. <laughs> okay, I, don't have the... I did notice that this year and last year, the idea was floated at the beginning of SPM. And you knocked that down. And yet, most years they happen anyway, uh, despite me, because, you know, because I know how to let that happen. But but I have also uh, we're a small enough group that it's easier to get to know each yeah. other than with a lot could of be. people. Could be, and I live in the, the, the uh, I live in the happy illusion. Right. That we can get. You use like solid pedagogical moves to not let that happen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't like icebreakers either. <laughs> okay, that's a whole. Uh, if I didn't want to force you to say that, depends on the context. Uh -oh. <laughs> like everything. Uh, okay. Uh, well, what I, but well, I guess, you know, what I'm trying to, one of the things I'm trying to point out is that Sneod is itself, um, that we're trying, you know, one of the challenges we have to work at the end is do, you know, do we want privacy to have a definition more rigorous than intuition? And Sneod is more helpful rhetorically than definitionally, right? Because once we start expanding Sneod to privacy, we don't really know what it does. In both, in, in, in any kind of persuading people, right? So if you have people living in a halakha context, so they know that they're supposed to appreciate sneers. And so, you know, this is Rabbi Lamb, uh, what it taught us once that uh, we had a deep impression on me. We had a meeting prior to, um, prior to an interdenominational uh, convention. And he said, like, when you're going into these things, you have to realize that this is a game of, I'm, I am being framing it more cynically than he did, but this is a game of capture the word. Figure out what word everyone is, everyone has positive vibes about, and then define yourself <laughs> as that. All right. So, yeah. you know, so like, you know, if you're an Orthodox person walking into a, that's kind of setting, the whole point is that orthodoxy is a place of diversity and pluralism, as opposed to the centralized 
the centralized organizations that run non-orthodox denominations, right? Single rabbinical schools, the control placement, every right, you know, the media controls. Right, Sandra writes that this is all true. Right, orthodoxy has you know can reasonably argue to have much more diversity than any other denomination. Um, right, for political diversity. Um, right here, right there. Uh, the, ethnic, national. Diversity. All right, all we can be doing all those plays with orthodoxy. Right, we have right, we have Sparta and Ashkenazim. Uh, right, we actually still have liberals and conservative, right? and um, and and conservatives. We have, you know, if you want to have a big ten, we have the Ture Carta and religious life, right? And right? Not the mention of right? None of these things exist in non orthodoxy uh, right? So, right? So, it was very easy, right? We have, you know, all it was very easy to make the argument that if you want really want true pluralism, um, and local autonomy, right? No national, but right, all those sorts of things only exist in orthodoxy, and right, that and that's a perfectly reasonable move. Uh, and that's the goal, but the goal was, right, that you, know, that you are the pluralist, they're the anti-pluralist, because we know pluralism was the word, right, diversity is the word, you have to define yourself that way. So, right, so you have to be an orthodoxy also, so it's theos, it's a good thing to be. Right, to be you know, some people are now against theos, like yeah. but that's so much in orthodoxy. In orthodoxy, what? if you're making a halakhic yeah. argument in orthodoxy, yeah. saying yeah. this argument thinks that Sneos doesn't exist is a bad argument to make rhetorically in orthodoxy. People are not going to be convinced by saying this argument is premised on the grounds, you know, unless you're being very controversial. There are a lot of women these days, they're anti, like, but not with halakha. No, even within halakha, like, it's like, a, I don't know if it's like a new movement or something, but now okay. like, a lot of people are criticizing. Okay, could be. Is it that they're anti sneer as a concept or they're anti the standards that people have pushed on? In the way uh, well, I mean, like I shared an article just now by Avital Chizik, one in my Chabruta. So, like, what she writes, she's pretty. She's like a writer, prolific writer, uh, journalist, and she grew up in Bruria High School, which was like kind of like very strict. Have you? Did you go to Bruria? No, oh, okay. I've heard of it. I don't know if it's like a guy's school. Also, Elizabeth, yeah, JC. Yeah, yeah. So she, it's a very strict school, but they have very high level secular education too. So, like, a lot of pretty smart people come out of there and um so she in her article it says that like she just thinks that like people have like become obsessed with like clothing of women like among women even like like oh like if you're like let's say dating somebody and like you wear a certain type of clothes like oh that makes you in the category of like Haredi because you wear like this type of socks. And then like, if you don't wear those type of socks, so now you're not Haredi anymore. So you basically de like define people by their clothes. And she's like, that's not, and like the obsession about it and like teachers coming in and being like, oh, your sleeves are too short or something like yeah. that. So like, yeah, a lot of women are like, okay, they feel that that's okay, not really like the, and she, her point is that it's not really, that's not true. It's Nias. It's not like, yeah, but a lot of people still define Sneas by like how long your okay. shirt is. Or something. If you look oh, at the, this, if you look at the Rokeach, you can see this is very old. The Rokeach even does it as an acronym, uses Sanua as an acronym to define qualities he thinks are good that people should have. Some of which are most tangentially connected to Sneas. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't we know have, like, like fundamentally, like a core, right? We have a concept of SNES. We know that this concept of SNES includes hiding things that we think are actually shameful. And we also know this concept of SNES includes, in many traditional sources, hiding things that we think are actually good, right? It's not that big of a step from there to say that it includes hiding everything on some level. Okay, good. That's a fine move, right? That's a fine way of making the move. Hiding everything about oneself? Or? Yeah, at some level, right? Yeah. You're supposed to hide the good things. You're supposed to hide the bad things. There's not that many things left over. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so we have Rabbi Levin does three, has three, yeah. right? He has a Gria, 
He has mm-hmm. theos, which he also makes a theological concept, which I love, right? That uh, right, that God both has theos and respects mm-hmm. others' theos. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, I did not buy that. You didn't buy it all. How interesting. Okay, I love that. Hmm. I mean, the, the God has sneered himself. I didn't really buy, but I thought you, you could argue that. The like God respects yeah. others. Sneered. I didn't buy it all. No, uh-huh. that was a bit hard. So what did he do? So Unless yeah, yeah, we. I mean, it. It's more like making it from this comparison than saying it's, and from this attempted argument than from see it itself. But if we go with like kind of like we've talked about privacy maybe like the inviolate person how you can kind of think about maybe forcing someone to think a certain way maybe like the way god doesn't there's a lot god holds us accountable for but does not control our thoughts so this is the right so that i think is the, the huge move Rory land makes is he goes from dignity so he goes from from he goes from privacy to right to dignity to autonomy. Right? And he says yeah. that by God, God respecting your autonomy means that he leaves you free to say, right, free to be yourself in certain ways. And that's the same idea. Mm-hmm. Right. Now you can easily make this thing the same, but God knows everything about you. Right. Like I, just one thing right. that's it's, not so new, it's like mind reading. It's so, so yeah. bizarre for him to use the Paro example to somehow prove that like yeah. God gives people privacy because like. First of all, like God reads people's minds all the time and nobody has a theological issue with that, right? Like, yeah. so presumably God would like God hooking up a polygraph to humans, yeah. right? That that would also be fine. He uses the mission of Ayn Rowe, it was a Shemaz. example was that the rabbis seem to value the idea of at least autonomy, right? I think I think- have an issue with, 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 with God interfering with Paro's heart. Nobody has a theological issue with God seeing into Paro's heart. Okay, Lexi, you have a response to that? No, I wasn't trying to argue otherwise, but I, I think that like Rabbi Lam, like when he's talking about God, I think he he uses God as like support, but not a perfect paradigm of what that privacy looks like between us. That he thinks autonomy is a related question. And that the fact like you could argue that maybe the nature of God is like, you know, we were talking about mind reading at one point in an earlier year, and, and, so, and somebody was like, well, of course, if you could read minds like you need you, you would be obligated to not read it. But it would depend on the nature of that, right? There's a difference between like, oh, if I focus on you, I can read your mind versus like in like Twilight or whatever. I think Edward just like hears everybody's thoughts all the time. Like it's not something he's trying to do. He just hears them in his head all the time. So you could imagine that God is something like that, that God, like maybe God isn't like actively trying to zero in on all of us all the time. God just does know everything. Like that's a nature of what God is. And so we can't compare that to what we owe one another when it comes to privacy of knowledge but that God generally respects like our, the autonomy of being, which leaves us some measure of self that is untouched by God. Okay, right, so I think we make the argument that you, you could, I think the Rav could make an argument something like this, right? That God was by himself and knew it, right? And the whole, the whole narrative of creation is about God trying to create space, right? Simpson for other beings. And there are limits to how much God can do that. Because being still as gods, you can't create a space as Panui, right? Simpson is the closest metaphor we get to there being any kind of space that is free of God. And so God can't not know our stuff, can't know, but he can at least let us make decisions. And that is a, but you need, the move you need to make is, is to see autonomy and privacy as connected, mm-hmm. right? That's the big move that he, 
that he, that he makes. Um, and so I think it's it's um, it takes work to figure out. I, I do find that intuitively um, intuitively compelling. I think if you like if you but I think it's influenced by formulations like the right to be let alone. So you formulate privacy yeah. the right to be let alone. So we can say, okay, right. So mm -hmm. the first stage of, of being let alone is that you get to make your own decisions. The second stage of being alone, right. And so as opposed to moving from sneut to autonomy, what we say is that privacy is just expanded autonomy. Autonomy is really where we start from. Mm -hmm. And that God values autonomy, then lets us say, but really, right, really, 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 this notion is, right, is a value. I have to figure out how to get there. Um, I think it doesn't work with sneut. Sneut is an anti-autonomous value. It's all about, here's something I would either rather reveal or it'd be easier for me to reveal, but you're not allowed to. Yeah, that's why I like to reframe sneut as entirely about what you impose on others. But it's right. not. There's respect for it's not in any source. That's you can not. be it however you like. There's literally if you, the, if you go to the bathroom by yourself, you're still supposed to like be covering up. That's, mm -hmm. yeah, so that's a big yeah. shittish, right? The big shit, the, the really big shittish is it's it's by yourself. And you know, and it's easy to just say this practice or something like that. But it doesn't, but it doesn't, like is about, I do all these awesome, <laughs> the fundamental sneers categories is I do all, all these awesome things, but I can't let anyone know because um, it will go to my head and make me seem too big. So I have to keep it to myself, even though it would be much of my life would be better if everyone know how awesome I was in private. That's the wow. prototypical sneers. You think sneers about Masum Tovim? There are two things. Like I said, there are two categories of sneers. There's a, sexual, there's a sexual category and the opposite of Yura. Those are the two prototypical categories of sneers. So the sexual category includes the like Beta Kisei and all that stuff. And there's the opposite of Yura, which is most, which is what that Kamara seems to be about, according to most Akronim, at least, and a number of Rishonim as well, which is that it's, you wish you could tell everyone how awesome you were, but you're being with you're not allowed to because it would be non sneers Like if you do a beta yona. Do you have a word that you can replace for sneers there? And using you know, using modest is cheating. Like huh. private. What do you mean? It's true that not boasting about your accomplishments is modesty, and so is dressing modestly, right? You know, not right, sexuality. But can you think of a word that would actually connect those two concepts? That is right. That make that that has that. A word that, rep, that do you see that as the same concept? Do you see? Do you see? Do you see? Do you do you see um, not going to the bathroom in public and not talking about your good deeds in public as the same representing the same idea? They're both hiddenness, right? I mean, I also think you can see almost from a different perspective this notion of like the good deeds being hidden is almost comes like. Mimela from the fact of wanting general privacy of the bad or potentially humiliating or deeply like private things you wouldn't want shared being hidden. Like I, you know, as a little kid, I would imagine when I was like doing really cool things, I would imagine like, you know, that like five-year-old boy on the swing set that I wanted to impress was like seeing me do a backflip and was super impressed. And then I would realize that if they could watch me, that meant they could also see all of the like embarrassing and like non-impressive things that I did in my day, right? That like, maybe you want people to be able to peer in on like the specific really cool, like private moments of yourself because you want people to say, wow, look how cool of a person that is. But that actually like, you can't separate that lack of privacy from a broader lack of privacy that like, you know, exposing some of the good invites people into, um, you know, Interesting. So it's a version of the Chavis Chaim's ban on saying good things about people. That, right, mm -hmm. that it's, it's propedeutic. It, right, it, it opens you up to... Okay. Uh, well, I don't really understand yes. that concept of like how like people would rather not be tzniyos. Like the thing that 
There's other people you would rather saying, like, you'd rather you'd boast. Prefer not to be, you would prefer to boast. But why would you prefer to boast? Like, let's say you boast and then other people feel bad. Well, that's, ah, so that's interesting. So thing, it's yeah. like, yeah, like I'm the best, but like then everybody else is right. sad. So, so I would need so, to argue in some ways that right is that is that your boasting affects other people in certain ways. It's not just about yourself. If I wanted to unify the concept, um, I'd like to argue that in some way it takes up space other people could occupy. But I don't know that I can do that in a compelling way yet. Um, okay, Rabbi Lam has a third thing, which is the creditor, which uh, is interesting whether people buy it or don't buy it. Is that really what the creditor is about? Is it about privacy? Is it about economic privacy specifically? And there's something I want to do more research on. Like, is there a is there against trespassing or is it only in this particular case? Uh, well, so yeah, I brought Baba Mahteret, right, to try and claim, right? And I think <laughs> Baba Mahteret and the creditor together. Right, it's one of those things where the penumbras uh, start meeting. Yeah, but like for forgetting about penumbras, like yeah. is there an issue against trespassing? Like if I see my friend's yard and he has a wall around, I'm like, I want to walk in his yard. Like, is that well? We say the reason you're not right is that you know that you're not supposed to come on, go into a place where a person might be doing something. Right, it's the Shemayi Shlo Devar Sanua. You're supposed to burst into. But know, we, but we just so, talk about we talk about fields that are like semi-public and people just walk through, and we don't have an issue with it. So, so let's say what you said I committed. If I'm really curious, what people leave their houses like when they're gone for the day at work. So I go through a neighborhood where there's no one home. I can look at the cars and see there's no one home in any house. I go in each house and I look around and I look through the windows. Let's say I don't even go in. You'll forget about trespassing. I use some binoculars and whatever. But I look inside each person's house, see how they leave their stuff, what kind of books they were reading, you know, all this information. I find this really interesting. I instinctively think I've committed some kind of issue. Is this is this some is this some sneeze violation? I don't. I wouldn't say okay, so. That, I think it has to be has a career or some sort of like like um like thing related to well, that. What have I, I done wrong in that situation? I think I think like 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 separating the sneeze aspect from the uh, like. Um, from like the actual I, trespassing, it was necessary to sort of. I think we didn't have a societal. We didn't have a societal norm against that. Then no one would ever feel private anywhere. I'd have to clean up. I'd have to. I'd have to clean up. You know, to make my bed every day because you're going to come in and you're going to find out I'm a messy person. You mean just don't have windows? Don't have windows. <laughs> no, but it's true. We could have a societal norm where you close your window shades before you leave the house because you think people look in otherwise. And there's no natural. You're not home. You're not home. Yeah. Uh, we could require people to close, and maybe we should, right? Maybe we should say, you know, that we we should require everyone to draw all their curtains before they leave the house. Maybe we could just say that bedrooms aren't allowed to have windows or something or dining rooms. We could do that too. But my point is this: I think that fundamentally captures what we're trying to talk about. That's a privacy violation. Fundamentally, you you are violating their privacy. Whatever mitzvah we assign it to, that's what you're doing wrong. I don't think it has anything to do with sneers because in general, I know we've argued with this, but I think that in general, sneers violations are not about the observer in that often you're doing them a favor. If you if you go and find the good things that Sadiqim are doing in private and tell everyone about them, you're doing the Sadiqim a favor. Well, you're not. You're, you're taking away from their uh, reward. That's why that's why super percent is not supposed to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is the whole difficulty of collaboration. Super percent is a Also, like, with the thing with like walking around and looking in people's houses like why can't you just go up to like let's say you're friends with that person you could just be like what book are you reading like it's not necessarily they have like these hidden secrets in their house like they could possibly tell a person like it's not so interesting necessarily like okay they have like uh books in their house they have like I'm just saying like i think no you can like I still, uh, somebody could just, oh also, sorry what 
All I was going to say is I think the hallmark of Sneos violation is that uh, permission doesn't matter. I think that's the most important thing that will tell you it's Sneos and not some other kind of privacy violation. And yet there are relationships where you don't write, where, where it's not a right, where it's not but, a Let me give you an example. Let's say the window thing I don't think is necessarily a serious violation because if someone posted above their window, I have this really cool set of furniture and I've set up my house in a really cool way. Come and here's a, and you set up, you know, an binocular installation so you can examine it and you put it in a corner and examine the inside of their house. Of course, there's no violation. They're trying to show off their cool furniture arrangement and how they decorated that room. That's obviously not a privacy violation. And I think that shows you that this isn't a serious issue because if it were a serious issue, that would still be a problem. If you said, if you set up binoculars and say, look into my bedroom at night, or if you set up, or you said, you can go watch and see how awesome I am every day, both of those would obviously be serious violations. They take the both prongs of it. You're saying that was a bright line thing. Interesting. Yeah. You're also arguing a lot from intuition. Like, I yeah. wouldn't necessarily agree with that. <laughs> Mary, what do you want to say? wouldn't agree that if you set up binoculars to look into your bedroom oh, let's not, at night, let's that's not serious violation. Mary, what do you want to say? <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think Sneas is the opposite of privacy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The polar opposite. Okay. I think Sneas is modesty, which is based, you can't have it unless you have a really solid sense of self-worth. What mm -hmm. am I, I'm covering something that's worth covering, whether mm. it's my intellectual greatness or my body, I'm covering something that's worthy of being covered. Um, so why do I need to do it so that I don't flaunt it, as Lexi was saying earlier? I want that little boy in the swing to look at me and say, wow, right? Um, but I don't, I don't flaunt it. I have snakes, I have modesty. So why do we do that? What's that value that's behind it? Uh, what, I, what I would posit is the value is that when it's all about me, I want that little boy to look at me. We can't see the little boy, there's only me. And so the whole purpose of SNES is that we can see others, which is the opposite of privacy. Uh -huh, which is the opposite of privacy. That's a clever move. But, <laughs> clever move. <laughs> but I'm actually kind of serious about it. Oh, wait, actually, I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. Um, okay. Um, okay. That's a complicated idea. But that, interesting. Uh, yeah, because like earlier, somebody was yeah. saying that it's about. Um, Oh, that's what it was, the extrovert versus the introvert thing, that um, if autonomy is derived from privacy or vice versa, it really doesn't matter, then the whole point is that I need to be by myself so that I can see myself, so that I can be myself. But if you happen to be an extrovert and you are can only be yourself by seeing yourself through others' eyes, then again, you need not to have privacy so that you can have autonomy, truly. I can't, I can't produce my thinking unless I bounce it off of other people if I'm that person. I can't, I can't be, I can't live with, with only being by myself. My autonomy is dependent on not being fully private and by sharing my thoughts and hearing others. So, um, okay. Um, yeah, I have had people make the same argument to me about bodies that, um, and, you know, that certain kinds of physicality that they can't, um, they can't be themselves if they have to restrain themselves physically around other people. That's so I haven't thought about it that way, I'm not sure if I'm making that argument. Uh, so I just point out that the argument can go there, and you can say no, that's not true. But the argument can go there, uh, and you know, it was made a specific argument you know, that was, it was already made specifically against me. But that's all, and uh, about you know whether whether you know whether some people should have to restrain themselves, other people's presence in certain ways. Uh, but that was that was a whole, um, and I still think about it. So you know, it's, it's an interesting argument. Uh, okay, uh, I do want to end on um, on time. I know there's a little bit of cynicism about time here, but. 
because <laughs> 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 uh, we're starting at 330. Right. Um, so I want to leave it. I think this was a really useful move. We didn't get a chance yet to talk about, uh, we didn't talk about Ray we didn't talk about Roboshovsky. Uh, we need to, I need to think about the schedule for tomorrow and what we really want to do mm -hmm. tomorrow and how. Um, I will try and think about that the rest of the day. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm frank, I know I, ha I have, in this case, I have a place I would like to get. I just don't know that I can get there, and even if I get there, that you want to want to come with me. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think that Roy Lamb is fundamentally right that there is a connection between privacy, dignity, and autonomy. Um, but I don't know, you know, but I don't know that I have a formulation um, that does it. And the move that I want to make next week, which I'm trying to figure out how to do in a source based thing, is to want right, the, 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 the cool double cut would be if privacy, if if the, whatever the concept we're trying to go we'll call the concept privacy creates not just creates not just obligations of hiddenness, but also rights to know certain things about yourself. Mm -hmm. Right? Because if it's, if it's related uh, to autonomy, right. so right, and self, right, and you know, space to be yourself. So it might also be the things I right that part of being myself also means that mm -hmm. I I should know who my parents are. Right, and that comes up with questions like, do I yeah. get to know who my parents are, even though my parents would like to hide the, either hide the fact that they were mm -hmm. infertile or hide the fact that one of them had an affair, um, right? So that's something I can't know about myself. I, right, the, knowing it about myself means I will know things about them. Uh, so I would like to move to an argument, right? To argument that we're, uh, and I think Ray Lamb does this to a certain extent, but I didn't do a good job today in um, teasing out how it is of mm -hmm. arguing for whatever is big concept of privacy as an mm -hmm. affirmative thing and not just a preventive thing okay. right like, right um right? that's where i want to go and then let you evaluate whether it's true or not but i want i want to try and develop an argument like that that gets us back to the case i started with which was really a hechitimsa for me of thinking about that about um, whether there's a uh, whether you can think of the right to self-knowledge as um, part of the same thing as the right not to have others know about you, or really they're two separate things. One is a I I I get to know things, and but you don't get to know things. Um, but but I think intuitively you can see why it might be the same thing, right? This is something I have a right to, and therefore you don't. And it's presuming that there's a right in the first place. That's presuming there's a right. That's presuming there's a right. So that's presuming there's a right. So you know, I'm trying to figure out how to get. There seems to be a right to know Torah. And the right to know Torah, right, uh, uh, overpowers teachers' rights to privacy. I hope not excessively. Uh, right? How we how we balance that in a specific case? It's a really interesting claim, right? That Torah uh, means that my right to know overpowers your overpowers your presumption of privacy, or sneers. Uh, right? It powers both of them, right? Because it's both my right to privacy and sneers, and you just. They write in Yehuda's terms. Well, maybe it only overpowers one of them. Maybe he would really doesn't care if this is private or not, but he has a chiyuv of tzirus, and that's overpowered ah, by your right to know the Torah. Okay, okay. I, I, you could make such an argument. You would not convince me at all. <laughs> the, um, yeah, so that's where I, that's where that's where I think to make I think to make the question interesting. But you know, it's not your chiyuv to make the question interesting. It's mine. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be much more interesting if you if everything comes down to a single concept we're trying to navigate the we're to navigate 
the um, the balance as to how that single concept is, as opposed to we see these as completely different, completely conflicting values. And we're, right, we're trying to, when we're trying to balance your right to X against my, you know, your right, uh, your right to ice cream against my right to cook the, the right to cook the way I want, or whatever it may be. Uh, but, you know, there's really there's no <laughs> intrinsic connection to that. That's where I want to go. Um, I think it's, you know, I think. I think you know, I think that um, Jacob's point is right. You know, that that um, we really have to think about the you know the notion of the penumbras uh, mm -hmm. meeting as opposed to each individual argument because it's, it's really hard to make any individual argument halakhically um, compelling. I'm interested to know whether you think that my adding bab to the equation makes Rabbi Lamb's uh, Rabbi Lamb's use of the of the um, creditor more 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 compelling. Um, I'd love to see if there are other examples where you could find it, right? As you just said, right? Can you find, or Smart Office said, right? Can we find a right to trespass? Jacob said, use the tiny said, right? Can we find a right to, you know, a, 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 an opposition to trespass generally, uh, right? How would we, how would we construct, um, how would we, how would we construct that? We'd have it by mitzvot, that you can't do other people's mitzvot without the rishud. Um, but about space per se, which isn't just a function of social convention and a, and a guarantor of it, that is right. Yudas case, right? You know, is there should there be something wrong um, of just going around and looking at other people's stuff? They will say, but obviously not with permission. But then we ask the values question: Are there things that you shouldn't give other people permission to look at? Right? Like, can we say, you know what? We think that it's okay if you let people look at your garden. And it's not okay to have people look at your bedroom. Sacred place next to stuff is not a bedroom. Well, that's just the Sneers thing. That just fits perfectly into my conception of Sneers. Sneers is the list of things you're not supposed to give other people. Yeah, well, but you're, you're treating it as separate. And I, right, yes, I, I think it's all separate. In fact, I think there's no right to self knowledge either. If anything, right. I know you're against self knowledge. If anything, we're moderately against self knowledge, you generally discourage it. Like you have, I, I, you're not supposed to test I, yourself, I, you're not supposed I, to. I am I am well aware and I forgive all the things that you reveal about yourself. Of course, the course are saying that. My point is, if you collect all the myths of Nazis, the Torah is generally in favor of piracy. I think you've proven that. It's generally something the Torah enjoy. The Torah, a good person, according to the Torah, is not someone who goes and tells everyone every detail of their lives constantly. So at the end of the day, yeah, I think that this is probably one of the places, and it's interesting to see, you know, how it will respond to examination. This is one of the places where I think I'm still my, my thoughts are still dominated by the rub. Uh, that's where I'm coming from. Um, you know that it, where he has this very strong vision that there are conflicting things, each of which are valued, right? That revelation in the context of relationship is a value, and it's like one of the things that God wants to do, right? God wants to reveal Himself so that people will, right? So that people will understand the negative relationship with Him and human beings want to reveal themselves that they can relationship they have relations with each other mm -hmm. but it's not as if private right, but loneliness is bad privacy is good and the problem is that you can't have mm -hmm. both complete privacy and, and relationship right so that, that i think that i think that the you know the more i think about it the more it's obvious to me that i am right that this is just one of the places where the rope just has that you know, I never escaped the rubs, the rubs orbit it's a very classic celebrate to key and dilemma it is it is no 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 i said i think yeah, so will it, um, how, since I haven't formulated it in those terms before, so it's interesting to me what, you know, how it will survive examination, both my own and others. But I think that that's probably right to say that that's, 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 that's where I end up. And since the Rav is so into dignity and autonomy as connected concepts, mm -hmm. so it seems to be very likely 
that he probably makes the, the connection explicitly somewhere. And I just don't know where it is. Um, it's probably a matter of humility would be my bet. And that, you know, that I'm being derivative in ways that, in ways that I'm not, um, that, that I'm not even conscious of. Um, so that's, that's, so I'm going to put that on the table. Um, and probably none of you are anywhere near as, you know, as rough dominated as I am. Um, kind of, you know, it's just a generational thing or, you know, just like, or, or what culture you grew up in. Um, so that's an interesting thing. I, I didn't think about that as well. Okay, we're going to end here and we'll see you all at 3.30. Um, here's to be something in the chat. Ah, there's the real cat. Thank you. I'm going to stop. So I was very planning to speak for two and a half hours straight.